Good morning. My name is Jill, and the Old Testament reading is found in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The Word of God. Hello, my name is Kay. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 20, 17 through 21. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus calling for the church's elders to meet him. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, beginning with the first day I arrived in the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of trials that came upon me because of the Jews' schemes. You know, I held back nothing that would be helpful so that I could proclaim to you and teach you both publicly and privately in your homes. You know, I have testified to both Jews and Greeks that they must change their hearts and lives as they turn to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Hello. My name is Diane Fisher. If you're able to stand, please um, join us for the gospel reading found in John 16.33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your grace at work in our hearts and in this place. And Lord, as we open up the scriptures, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our lives. We lay them before you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We're here for you, Jesus. We're here to see you glorified. We're here to see your name lifted high. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. It would be a really great fundraising idea to sell those little spritzing fans in the summer at New Life Downtown, but we've never quite felt like that was appropriate. We, um, we hate goodbyes, and maybe we hate goodbyes because we rarely see good goodbyes. A lot of times in this life, our goodbyes are painful, there are difficult moments, and so we don't like goodbyes because there's so few good ones. In fact, even in the movies, the, the, the most sort of emotional goodbye scenes are typically forced goodbyes. So you have a goodbye because of a war, like in Casablanca, we'll always have Paris, my dear. Here's looking at you, kid. Or maybe it's... Because someone's dying, like in Titanic. It's a boat, Jack. Or one of my childhood favorites, a, a firing, like in Dead Poets Society. Oh, captain, my captain. 
we don't see a lot of good goodbyes because most of our goodbyes are forced. But the scriptures show us a lot of different kinds of goodbyes. And you see goodbyes because of endings. You, say, you see goodbyes because of the finishing of a course or an assignment. But the book of Acts gives us a, a little sneak into one of Paul's goodbyes. And it's a remarkable goodbye because Paul, in this case, is not dying. But he's leaving a church that he spent a lot of time with. I think in Ephesus it was about three years. So I think ten years is considerably better than Paul there. <laughs> it's about the only thing you could say. But in this text today, in Acts chapter 20, is going to be our reflection this morning, my final charge to the church, my charge to you as a congregation at New Life Downtown. And in the book of Acts, what we find here is not just a goodbye, but kind of a missional farewell, a charge from Paul saying, I've got a mission and you've got a mission. That in a very real way, this ending masks a new beginning. A new beginning for Paul, but also a new beginning for the church in Ephesus. And I think there's some parallels that we can explore this morning as we look at it. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 22. If not, you can follow along on the screen. It'll be great. It says right here, Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I don't know what will happen to me there. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me from city to city that prisons and troubles await me. There is uncertainty in the apostle's life. There is an unsure future. A couple weeks ago, I stood up here and said to you, as we go, as we make our move west, it's not because it's a step up, but it's a step out. It's not to chase ambition, but it's obedience to a mission. There's no guarantees that God gives us when he sends us. And Paul knows that very well. Paul's not a prosperity preacher. He's not saying, God will honor my faith and I know I'm going to see great things and things are going to work out. Paul's, what makes Paul's goodbye more difficult is he has no guarantees for them, even for his own life. And he says, look, I don't know. I know that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that actually there's troubles. Actually, if I do know something, there's probably going to be opposition here. Verse 24, but nothing, not even my own life, is more important than completing my mission. Oh, that God would give us grace to live like Paul. Oh, that God would give us grace to say nothing is more important than completing the mission that God has for us. This is nothing other than the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. And then he says, and this is what it is, to testify about the good news of God's grace. That's the mission for all of us, right? To testify about the good news of God's grace. And so here in this text, we find some resonance, we find some overlap, we find some inspiration for this moment, we find some help, some language for this moment in our seasons together as a church. Like Paul, we feel like we've been compelled by the Spirit, we feel warned to persevere amidst op opposition, and we feel the urgency to remain faithful and in this speech that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders, he says several things. This morning, I'm going to break from my normal way of giving you three points, and I'm going to give you five. I just thought, listen, if it's my last one, I got to just do a little extra. You know, you're used to three. Just hang in there. We got five. <laughs> 
Verse 25 of Acts 20, Paul says, I know that none of you will see me again. You, you, I don't know if that's true for us. I hope that's not true. You among whom I traveled and proclaimed the kingdom. Therefore, today, I testify to you that I'm not responsible for anyone's fate. I love this, Pastor Paul. He's so tender. Just so you know, I am not going to see you again, and I'm not responsible for any of y'all. <laughs> You're like, oh, Paul, I just kind of ruined the moment there, bro. Like, say a bit more, Paul. But here's what he's getting at. He says, I haven't avoided proclaiming the entire plan of God to you. And so then he says, watch yourselves. Or in the words of that great philosopher of our generation, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. The first thing I want to say to us as a church is watch yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. It sounds like a funny thing to say, but I think what Paul's trying to say is, look, at some point, maturity in Christ means taking responsibility for your own relationship with Christ. At some point, maturity in the Lord looks like saying, I I love the gifts, and I love the church, and I love the community, but you know, at a deep level, I need to keep watch over my own life and faith. In Genesis 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, he gives them a job. He gives the word that's used there when he says to Adam, work the field, is this Hebrew word, abed. And it's this idea of service and work, but it's also related as Hebrew would always play with words with, that had the same consonants but different vowels because that's how it's written. And they would play with that word and they're like, well, it's also kind of like husbandry and it's also sort of like tending and guarding. And there's something here that goes back to our original call as human beings. Part of your original call is to tend the garden that you've been placed in. Part of being an image bearer is to say, I've got to guard and work this field. We live in a cultural moment that is looking for reasons to blame someone else for your own deconstruction in faith. We live in a moment where it's everybody else's fault. Well, it's the scandals. Well, it's the elections. Well, it's the politics. Well, it's the hypocrisy. And I want to say to you with urgency and with strength this morning, the Holy Spirit says to us, keep watch over yourself. Keep watch over yourself. I'm not minimizing pain. I'm not minimizing the reality of how trust has been broken. But at some level, the Lord's saying, and what about you now? And how are you going to respond to this now? Are you going to come to me and say, well, but Lord, these are all the ways I've been disappointed by the church. And these are all the ways that I've been hurt. And Jesus will weep with us. And Jesus will put the balm of Gilead over those wounds. And he cares for us. And Jesus will say, okay. And now whose garden is this to tend? Whose garden is this to tend? Keep watch over yourselves, Paul says. Don't relish in reasons to be offended. Don't make a laundry list of all the ways that you have been the victim. There's a difference between being a victim and victimhood. And Paul's saying, we're not going to get the story of the church rolling by talking about how the apostle abandoned us. We're going to get this going by saying the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So keep a watch over yourself. And then in verse 28, the verse goes on. He says, watch yourselves and the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as supervisors. Now he's talking to the elders to shepherd God's church. 
which he obtained with the death of his own son. The second thing we can hear from this speech that Paul gives is shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. For 10 years, our heart, our burden for every staff person, for every volunteer, for every lay leader, for every meal group leader, has been that this would be a community of shepherds. This would be people who are, at the same time, a member of the flock and a shepherd within it. Um, Sitting here on the second row is Evan Riedahl. Evan is the first full-time staff member we hired at New Life Downtown. And I remember the decision to hire Evan, and and I thought, that's because this guy has a shepherd's heart. And I thought, I, I, need, I need someone who's better at this than I am. <laughs> I need someone who knows how to teach others to multiply this. And Evan led our meal groups from day one. Remember, we had a little meeting right here. It was like real informal, August of 2012. He said, anybody want to open up your home and like eat with other people? People were like, that's it? Sure. Yeah. And Evan's making the pitch. Did that for a number of years. Evan's gone on and led mentoring programs. But every staff member we've added to the team have been shepherds, people who desire to care for this church. Five years ago, six and a, well, five and a half years ago, I realized that we were at a pivotal point in the life of New Life Downtown, and it was growing, and, and I needed someone else to come alongside our team and come alongside me. And I was talking with Holly, and she said, you should call Jason Jackson. I was like, Jason Jackson is the senior pastor. Like, I, he may not be right now, but that's totally what, who he is. Like, he's never going to come. And she goes, you should just call him. So I listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, my wife. <laughs> Sounds the same. Same voice. <laughs> Ken knows. Ken knows. And I called Jason. I said, Jay, I, you know, how are you doing? And I, I, I put the sort of fleece out to the Lord. I, th- I thought, if Jason says that his current season of ministry is difficult, then I'll bring it up. But if he's like in a sweet spot, I'm not even going to disrupt it. I was like, man, how are you doing? He goes, man, I'm in the hardest season of ministry I've ever been in. <laughs> I was like, boy, have I got an offer for you. <laughs> and so we began talking and He and Sarah prayed about it, and they made visits out here. And we knew right away, this is is not just a vital member of this pastoral team, but this is going to be the person. It didn't take long before we recognized this is going to be the person who's meant to lead New Life Downtown into the future. And so I say that today. Jason's on the tail end of his sabbatical, gets back Saturday night. And I say that to you because next week needs to be all celebration for what God is doing in Jason and Sarah's life. No more, no more tears about the Pacquiams. I just want all joy next week about the Jacksons. Get them all out today. No. <laughs> that kid's working on it already. I love it. Uh, I love it. Listen, I love it. We've loved kids here. My kids would interrupt the sermons here at New Life Downtown. So we have a long legacy of that. It's all good. Um, but I say that to you to say that I believe so deeply in Jason. I believe in the call of God on his life. I said to you a few weeks ago that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is able to hold many storylines all together. And even as we discern our own storylines, sometimes we get a sneak peek into someone else's storyline. 
and I see the team that is being formed, the team that has been assembled here over the last several years, and I believe in Jason as the guy to lead this. So I want you to surround them. But I want you to do more than that. I actually want us to continue the legacy of how this congregation began, that we're all going to take responsibility for one another. See, Paul says, watch yourself, and then he says, and one another. And one another. So we start with ourselves, but we don't end with ourselves. If we ended with ourselves, then we would be like Cain saying, well, am I my brother's keeper? To which the answer is yes. So you watch your own life and faith so that you can then begin caring and helping others. Carry on in meal groups, carry on in community, carry on in mentoring relationships, carry on in marriages, carry on in all of the formal and informal ways that you shepherd one another, that the Lord shepherds this flock through you. Amen? Verse 29, Paul goes on, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and won't spare the flock. Some of your own people will distort the word in order to lure followers after them. Stay alert. Remember that for three years, I constantly and tearfully warned each one of you. I never stopped warning you. Paul's talking about early heresies, perhaps, and things that would spring up in the early church. But in our day, there's always been this threat, and maybe more so in recent times, the threat to divide the church, the threat to sort of turn us against one another. And so the third, the third point from this final charge that Paul gives is guard against deception and division. Guard against it. Guard against the kinds of voices that would say, well, well, listen, listen, to be a Christian, you ought to, da, 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 da. And if you really are serious, then you would, and everything looks suspiciously like their particular priorities. One of the early, one of the early um, motivations for us when we began New Life Downtown was to help people unpack the backpack that had been handed to them and when people said, this is Christianity, take this whole backpack. And people would say, well, I don't want like half those things in that backpack, so I guess I better leave the whole thing. And part of the problem with that is in every culture, this, happens through, this has happened all throughout church history and in every context. It's not a uniquely American problem, but there are American particularities to our context. In every era of church history, people keep adding to the backpack of the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And they say, well, you actually need to vote this way. You actually need to think this way. This is actually what your economic policy needs to be. And this is actually what your neighborhood needs to look like. And this is actually, and they hand people the backpack and people say, but I don't want like half those things in that backpack. And so then they leave it all behind. The way towards unity in the church is the way, is the step toward remembering and reclaiming what we are all about. The definition of our identity as the people of God is shaped by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why when someone says, what's the statement of faith at New Life? It's the Nicene Creed. What's the Nicene Creed? It's the 1,700-year-old confession that has grounded and anchored and served as guardrails for the people of God throughout church history. And you're like, well, why is it that? Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And you're like, listen, this is what we need to hold fast to. This is what we need to cling to. And of course, there are convictions that spring from that because we stand under the authority of the word of God. And of course, there are things that we, conclusions that we come to because 
of our reverence for the authority of Jesus. But whenever we step outside that, whenever we start adhering to human teaching or human ideology or human philosophies, whenever we start to do that, that's when we start to splinter the church. That's when we start to say, well, this is just what I heard. This is the podcaster that I heard. And this is the influencer that I pay attention to. And this is the TikTok star, God help us, who I've been watching. (laughs) Guard against deception and division. Every few years, we have an opportunity again to say, who is the church? The church is a different people of God. You remember Year after year, election year after election year, we've had sermons in here and Sundays in here where we say, hang on, guys, tune out the noise in there and remember the kingdom of God. Remember the kingdom of God. Remember that we are kingdom people, and that's going to challenge our allegiances on all sides. One of the things we have to avoid doing is to avoid labeling and lumping people together. We've got to avoid saying, well, you are this ethnicity, therefore you are this or that. Or we've got to avoid saying, well, you work for this person, or you live in this neighborhood, or you voted this way. And all the labels and all the lumping, you know what that's doing? It's insulting the only name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is more important than the name of a nationality. The name of Jesus is more important than a political party. The name of Jesus is more important than a neighborhood or a city. The name of Jesus is more important than our own last name. The name of Jesus above all. That's how we guard against deception and division. But it also means, it also means that the name of Jesus is the name above any pastor or preacher. Paul encountered this. Some say I'm of Apollos and some say I'm of Paul. And some say, like, whenever we're discouraged about our day, I, I, get, I actually find great comfort reading the New Testament letters because I'm like, oh yeah, that was there too. That was there. We're all like, oh, celebrity pastors are such a modern problem. Is it though? Like, isn't it like a human tendency? And we've got to make sure that we don't turn church into a shrine to an individual. The church is a temple the church is a temple to one name. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the temple was called the place where the name of the Lord is proclaimed. That's what it was called. The, the name, the unspeakable name for the Hebrews. It's where the name of the Lord was proclaimed. But what often happens is a temple becomes a shrine to lesser names. A couple of us were in Israel earlier this summer and we journeyed up to the Temple Mount. And if you've been there, you know that what stands on the foundation of the Temple Mount is now a shrine to a human being. And this is what humans do. We take a temple that was meant to be the place where the name of the Lord is proclaimed and we turn it into a shrine for where a human being did something cool. I'm not interested in a church becoming a shrine to any individual. I'm not interested in a church becoming a shrine or a monument to someone's great achievements or great gifts. The church is meant to be the temple where the name of the Lord is proclaimed. We're going to skip to verse 33 and we'll come back to verse 32. Verse 33, Paul says, I haven't craved anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that I have provided for my own needs and for those of my companions with my own hands. And in everything I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. And in this way, we remember the Lord Jesus's words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The fourth 
charge from Paul is to serve generously. To serve, to give of ourselves, of our lives generously. To help the weak. To recognize that it is more blessed to give than to receive. When New Life Downtown began, Holly and I were sort of forced into being receivers and not simply givers. And that was because downtown began in April of 2012. We had our fourth child in the summer of 2012. You ever heard that Jim Gaffigan joke, like, what is it like having four children? It's like drowning in the ocean, and then someone hands you a baby, you know? <laughs> we, we, had, we had friends who, who had four kids ahead of us, and, and we said, hey, we're thinking about having a fourth. We really feel like we want one more. What do you think? And he's like, oh, it's no big deal, the change from three to four. The summer of 2012, I wanted to hunt those people down. And be like, you lied, bro. You lied. But we found ourselves trying to launch this congregation and like being submerged, like drowning. But I remember Holly and I going to visit the first few meal groups downtown, coming to people's apartments and homes. And we'd bring the stroller and we'd bring little Jane. And people would take them. People would hold Jane. People would help. People would come over to our home when Jane had ear infections. Evan and Karen, Jason and Jen. I mean, so many, Chris and Abby. So many different people surrounded us. And we thought we were supposed to be leading, but we were the beneficiary of other people's kindness and generosities. What I want to ask of you today is, as you have done for us, do for Jason and Sarah. Do this for them. Surround them. Support them. Ask how you can come alongside them. Never let New Life Downtown be a place where the seats are filled with consumers. Continue on as you have done. Continue on being contributors and not consumers. Being people who say, what can we make of this place? What can we make of this community? Church is not a product that we consume. Church is a community that we make together by the grace of God. And so the question is, what can we make of these, this people? What can we make of this congregation? Not what can we gain? You know, it's funny, Jim and Martha will probably remember this, but when we, came, when we first started meeting in the Carter Payne, and it was super crowded and also hot, and um, people used to come and ask us if we had this ministry or that ministry, and I just got so tired of saying, we really don't. It's like, we're just starting out. And I remembered a story that Eugene Peterson used to tell his congregation in Baltimore. He said he visited a Benedictine monastery and Benedictines are known for their hospitality, at least in the sense that they can't turn you away. And so if you came to the monastery and you needed a place to stay, the, the Benedictines would say, come on, you can stay. You can have our food and you can have these beds. And, but Peterson would recount this moment of going to the, the monastery and the, the abbot, the leader of the monastery would greet the guests and say, thank you so much for being here. Everything that we have is yours. And listen, if you find that there's something you need, come and talk to one of the brothers and they'll teach you how to live without it. <laughs> and for years, we just kind of made that joke at downtown because like, we, we really can't, we don't have that ministry, but we could try to teach you how to live without it. <laughs> Serve generously. Serve generously. The final piece of this is in verse 32. Paul says, now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all whom God has made holy. Paul's actual reason for confidence is not because 
these Ephesian elders are going to do such a great job keeping watch over themselves. It's actually a little bit of, it's not a bait and switch, but Paul's saying, look, I'm telling you to do all these things, but actually they're only possible because of the grace of God. You remember he opened by saying, my calling was to testify of the grace of God. And he ends by saying, and I trust you to the grace of God. Paul, the apostle of grace, knows better than to give a charge that sounds like a football coach's locker room speech. He's not saying, come on, get back out there, give me 110%. Paul's saying, my whole life in ministry is about the grace of God. So even now, in my goodbye, I'm going to say, I trust you to the grace of God. And that's the final thing to say this morning. Trust the grace of God. It was never our church. It was never just a congregation of new life church. It was always Jesus's flock, Jesus's congregation. This morning I shared with the volunteers, uh, another Carter Payne kind of memory. If you were there, you know, 10 plus years ago, but it was a room where there were windows all around it. It'd be great someday, Lord, grant new life downtown building and one with windows. Amen. Amen. And these windows were beautiful because the light would just come streaming in. And, 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 and someone had this sort of vision or word from the Lord that says, I think we're supposed to go and be the lights. But the truth is, windows are not the lights. <laughs> it's, it's the little twist on what Jesus says when he says, you're the light of the world, but actually he's the light of the world. And it's a similar twist that Isaiah does when he says, look, when you practice righteousness and justice, your light will become like the noonday. And then he says, mm, actually arise and shine for your light has come for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Anything good from us came from God. Anything that is good for the world came from God. The window is not the light. The window is not where light comes from. It's where light comes through. And so we're trusting ourselves to the grace of God. One other image from that chapel that I'll never forget is the ceiling had the, this artwork on it. And the artwork was pomegranates and bells. Now, I, you know, I was sort of newer on kind of liturgical journey. And I was like, pomegranates and bells, like, I, I don't know. Like, is that like, I, I had no idea. I had no idea even where to begin. And someone explained to me that in, in some of these older churches, they would paint that on the ceiling because that's what was tied to the hem of the garment of the high priest in the Old Testament. And so it was a way of saying that when we gather, we gather under the covering of the great high priest. And I've never forgotten that, that the church exists because of the care and the provision and the covering of Jesus, the great high priest. You know, that's been the point of all of the liturgical things we do. The reason we mark the seasons of the church calendar is not because we're nostalgic and we just like the good old days. It's because the church calendar is a way of keeping time that reminds us of the life of Jesus. It's a way that keeps us centered on Jesus. The reason we have communion every week at New Life is not because we're like, well, we probably should. I mean, the church has done this for 2,000 years. Let's keep the streak alive. We do this because it's a way of saying, listen, the worship team may get it wrong. They hardly do. The preacher may get it wrong. He often does. But when we come to the table of the Lord, that's the moment where we stand out of the way. And like John the Baptist, we say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
The reason we stand for the gospel reading is not because it's just good tradition or good manners, like we're sort of hanging on to an old way. We stand for the gospel reading as a way of saying, we testify to the grace of God that came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. All of these things that we've done year after year after year has been to reinforce the message for us that this is Jesus's church. This is about Jesus. This is for Jesus's glory. And it's Jesus whom we're trusting for the future. <laughs> I'll just say it one last time. If you're going to thank the Lord out loud, like just like really do it. Like really clap if you're going to clap, you know. <laughs> oh, man. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to do this. Like, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Would you stand with me? I want to invite the worship team to come. Fittingly, appropriately, we're going to come to the Lord's table. Pastor Evan's going to lead us in that moment, but even as we stand right now, this is the moment where we turn again to the grace of God, where we say, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm not here for any other reason than you. And it's these people that you formed us together with as a church, as a community, and we're going to need each other. You're going to need each other in the days and weeks ahead. And so we draw near to Jesus, the great high priest. We draw near today to receive again this grace, to let him feed us, to let him nourish us, to let him strengthen us, to let him show us that we too are part of the mission to testify of the grace of God right here in downtown Colorado Springs. So New Life Downtown, may you go and be the light. May you allow the light of Jesus to shine brightly through you in the very heart of this city. May your love for one another be a witness to the world that there is a new king and a new kingdom arriving. May your unity make people scratch their heads and say, how did all these people end up in the same hot auditorium together? And the only answer be Jesus. May the grace of God abound to you in every way, supplying all of your needs according to his great riches. And may God the Father be glorified through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit. Amen and amen. come to the table as a family, me and my kids, we sing a song that we are thankful and then we say what we're thankful for. And this is the Eucharist. This is our family table. It's the table of Thanksgiving. And a lot of times it's Christ and what he's done and it's Christ and what he's given. And Glenn, I know we, we don't say 
We're thankful to you as the source, but we could come to the table as the family and say, God, thank you for the packums. I'm thankful to God for the packums. And not on our own accord, but with confession of our reliance upon God as the giver of every good and perfect gift. So let's confess together with these words. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done. So hear the good news, beloved family of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this demonstrates God's love toward us, that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Would you take a moment and turn to those around you and pass that peace to your brothers and sisters now? And on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. We proclaim together this great mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. Come on. This is a moment where we just say, Holy Spirit, come. So would you open up your hands or extend them out over the elements and the table? Father God, thank you for this gift of this cup, of this bread, your body and your blood given for us. Holy Spirit, come and meet us here in these gifts to make us one with you and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world, to your glory. Meet us here again in Jesus' name, amen. These are the gifts of God given for us the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Christ has died for you on feet on him and your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. I wanna invite the servers to come forward and up on the stage to grab the elements. Just a moment, we're gonna come forward to receive and this is how it's gonna work in the 
front of each section, beginning there, we'll ask everyone to exit to your left and come forward. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and join the section here on, on my left, your right side. There's prepackaged elements also in the top of the balcony or in each basket. If you're unable to come forward, a member of our staff or the community team can come and bring it to you. Just flag us down somehow, let us know, tell someone next to you. If you're not receiving, we ask that you still please come forward. The rows are pretty tight. It's just easier to get through, but just walk on by the servers as you return to your seats. If you are receiving, come with your hands open. One of our servers, the first one will place a napkin in your hand and another server will take the gluten-free cracker and then dip it in the non-alcoholic wine and place it on that napkin. You're free to receive right then and there, or you can carry it back to your seats and receive with those around you. Or again, you can ask for those prepackaged elements if you desire. There's two stations in front of each section. So just keep an eye out. You can alternate between those sections. Beloved family, the table is open. The spirit and the Lord say, come to this Thanksgiving table now. Come and receive.